You're listening to Over the Top Cycling, Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. We're on the line with Damon Tafe. And a lot of you probably think it's Taffy like I did, but it's Damon Tafe, correct? Yeah, I don't know what it was when we came over from Ireland years ago, but uh, at least my parents tell me it's Tafe, so it's good enough for me. All right. Well, I'm glad you let me know before we started. So, Damon, I've got to hear what happened to you last year. Uh, looking at Facebook, the pictures that you posted were really gruesome. You had a pretty amazing season going. Um, you did a great ride at Sebring and uh, had some big plans, I'm sure. What was going on? Yeah, uh, no, I was probably in the shape of my life, unfortunately. Like you said, at Sebring, I had uh, a 475-mile day, which was good for an age group course record at that point. And big personal record as well. And my weight was right where I wanted it to be. My wattages were great. And I was going out and doing, you know, 300K and 400K rides and just cruising through it, really building up with a focus on uh, the uh, Michigan National 24-hour race, which I would uh, challenged for in 2014 when I got introduced to Scott Luker at the hard way. And uh, after that, I was going <laughs> to roll, roll on through to – uh, race across Oregon, which was the target race for the season. And I was signed up for that had a great crew ready to go. And I decided kind of at the last minute to jump into Texas ultra spirit. And, uh, largely because I have a friend, uh, Barry Benson, who is local here and, uh, we ride together and he drives to a lot of these events, which is great for me because I can give him my bike and then I can fly and meet him there. Uh, so it's, it's very easy logistically. And he was going down to Texas ultra spirit and it seemed like a, very friendly, low-key race where I could just use it as a, a long, hard day and beat myself up a little bit in the heat and not to, not think too much about it, regardless if I did well or I, I did badly. So uh, I went down there, and it was a hard course and a scaldingly hot day uh, in a way that we just haven't had on the East Coast at all at that point. Uh, the race started at about uh, 6 in the evening, I think it was, and a uh, pretty small field. Uh, a lot of the normal guys you see from Texas, the Ram guys, uh, David Baxter, Jose, and uh, a few of the others down there uh, to make it fun. But uh, I was going pretty well, and I think I was about uh, 15 or 20 miles up on the, the second-place guy as of about 100 miles in. And by that point, it was about 11 o'clock at night because we had an evening start, and the thing about this course was that it just has a whole lot of up and down to it. And so uh, you you definitely want to carry all your speed down the hills and use your momentum to fly up the, the one in front of you and you know get out of the saddle and hammer over the top and just try to conserve your momentum as best you can because it's a hard enough day anyway. And I'd probably gone out a little bit hard. I think my first loop there was, you know, something 22 miles an hour or something like that. And people were looking at me kind of funny. And I was starting to feel the effects of maybe having gone out a little hot. But uh, I was under control and was hoping just the evening would cool off a little bit. So about 11 o'clock at night, that's about uh, 100 miles into it, it started raining a little bit, which... uh, you know, it was fine with me, actually, given that it had been up in the 90s temperature-wise. I thought it was great, cools off a little bit, and uh, I just wanted to settle in for the nighttime portion. And the thing about this race is that 
one of the, the biggest downhills straight into one of the biggest uphills at, at the bottom of it has a, a metal great bridge. And just thinking back on it, I, I want to say it was 15 yards wide, something like that. It might've been 10, might've been 20, but, um, it just has metal spokes across it, you know, like, uh, every inch or so, just a strip of metal. So when you ride across it in the daytime, which I had on the first five laps or so, you just kind of center yourself up and it vibrates you a little bit and it's no problem. You just carry on with your day. I hadn't really thought twice about it, but, um, I guess it had gotten a little bit wet in the rain. And so I was going downhill this thing at about 11:30 at night and i saw up across the other side of it uh somebody in front of me i think it was dave baxter who was uh on a lap before me so i was about to catch him and, and lap him hopefully but he was going up this hill on the far side of it maybe 40 yards in front of me so i was thinking okay you know you carry all your momentum down the hill then uh you fly up the other side and you'll see dave and have a nice word and so forth and I just realized as I was going down this hill, probably 30 miles an hour, that, oh, yeah, there's this bridge at the bottom of it, and it's getting kind of wet out, so I just really need to be careful about this. So I got out of the saddle a little bit, stopped pedaling, just put both my hands on the, the drops and centered myself up. And my only goal was just ride straight across this thing and don't do anything stupid. But one thing I hadn't realized on the first few loops, just because I had no reason to, was that there was actually a lip on the front of this grate. It's like it was this big metal plate sitting on the ground almost, but it wasn't flush with the pavement. Uh, so on the front side of it, it, it sat up above uh, the, the pavement, maybe three-fourths of an inch or an inch. So when you hit the front side of it with your front wheel, it pops the wheel up just a little bit. And in when it's when it's dry, it just doesn't matter. You encounter worse things every day, but when it's wet, uh, that grate may as well, that bridge may, may as well have been ice. And my front wheel lost contact just a tiny bit and wet rubber on this wet metal. Um, I knew as soon as I started across the bridge that, you know, the bike was just sliding out for me. And I remember uh, yelling to Dave before I actually hit the ground that, you know, to try to get his attention because I knew exactly what was going to happen. It's just one of these terrible slow motion situations where you think, geez, this is going to be really ugly. And uh, it was. Um, you know, I hit the ground really hard on my left side. I think I wound up going over the front of the bars as well. I heard my bike skipping down the road. And uh, <clears throat> pretty much the only saving grace out of all of it was that uh, Dave, I, I'm 90% sure it was, did hear me and stopped and actually uh, turned around and rode back down the hill. And he wound up staying with me, as did other people who came along. I had a, a small group of riders around around me for must have been 45 minutes or so until uh, the ambulance came to pick me up. Um, and I, I was just doing one of those things that, unfortunately, we do, anybody who's been in a bike rack before, just sort of a system check kind of thing that, you know, I could move my head, that's fine and conscious, I could move my my hands, my feet, uh, I can try to sit up, so it's, it's not working very well. But I, I knew that in the grand scheme, I was going to be okay. But in the immediate scheme, uh, I was. it was nighttime, so I couldn't quite see the extent of the damage. But uh, people who are around me 
and we were trying to get people on the phone said I was bleeding an awful lot and I couldn't do anything except clutch my left arm to my chest, uh, sort of a 90 degree angle. And, uh, that's, that wound up being really where the damage was the most. I mean, both, both of my forearms were really badly lacerated. I think I had probably 25 or 30 staples in my right arm. And that was the one where nothing was broken. My, my left arm was, uh, uh, quite a bit worse. Um, there's a compound fracture. So the, the skin was kind of torn away down to my, uh, my bone when the, the end of my elbow turns out had been completely knocked off, which is where your tricep muscle attaches, which is why I, I couldn't move my arm at all because literally the muscle wasn't attached to anything anymore. Um, and I didn't find out about all of that until I got to the hospital and I was in surgery for about four hours that night uh, with the, the guy they called in. They only, it was this local hospital, and it's such a small hospital that um, I was there for a few days, and nurses were telling me that people in this town of Columbus actually go out to eat at the hospital because it's the best food in town. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got, I got to know them pretty well, and I wound up being there for about three days or so on uh, really high-dose antibiotics because... I, I think I probably hit the ground on the bridge, but I wound up on the other side in this chip seal, peat gravel kind of mm. stuff. So their main object for me was just to prevent infections because that would be the worst outcome. And at that point, uh, the the doctor had made a decision to put a big plate in my forearm and to wire everything back together. And so I thought that's what that's just how it was going to have to be. But um, <clears throat> when I got back to D.C., uh, a surgeon friend of mine uh, told me to go for a second opinion with somebody who he respected a lot. And the guy took one look at the MRI and said, yeah, that's, that's not going to work at all because you'll never be able to straighten your arm again if we leave it like that. Uh, now, the guy who put me back together was uh, an old army guy and he was the only orthopedist they had on staff. And he came in the middle of the night and I, I think he was very good from his army days at stitching people up and getting them back out into battle, you know, but long-term prognosis is not really his specialty. So uh, I did have a second surgery and the upshot of the second surgery, it was largely a good thing because they actually took out all of the screws and plates and metal and everything and uh, just reattached the muscle to a different place rather than trying to have everything grow together again. So uh, the bad news is I don't have a tip of my elbow anymore. Um, <clears throat> The good news is that, otherwise, aside from that, aside from a really nasty scar and some uh, slight range of motion things, I'm still working through. Uh, you know, my swimming career is not going to be uh, at the Olympic level <laughs> going forward, I don't think. But uh, aside from that, uh, I think I'm pretty much through it, which is to say that I don't think about it much anymore, which is, uh, I think, the best we can hope for. Now, you have a pretty and, important job. How did that affect your work life? Uh, well, I have a demanding job. Uh, yes, whether it's important, other people can, can, can decide. Uh, yeah, I'm a, an assistant United States attorney, uh, in Washington, DC. And most people have that job are federal prosecutors. So they, uh, <clears throat> bring criminal charges against people who commit federal crimes. My job's a little different, uh, because I'm on the defensive side of things, but in Washington, D.C., really what that means is I represent federal agencies when lawsuits are filed against them, which is all the time. And so I have uh, a job where I'm juggling probably 50 cases at a time. 
And uh, it's extremely demanding. I go to trial a couple of times a year, and I make fun of my computer all the time, but also writing quite a bit and all. And so uh, I had my arm in a sling for about a month, I guess, and I wasn't such a good typist at that point. But uh, people, including opposing counsel, were very understanding. Uh, usually that's not the excuse that I was going to say opposing counsel <laughs> was understanding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, there's only so much they can do. When you call them and say, hey, I can't meet, make this deposition tomorrow because I'm in a Texas hospital. And what are they going to say? Uh, but no, in truth, everybody was great. Uh, some people covered for me around the office in a way that I appreciate and have a karmic debt to repay, no doubt. And uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, wife now, Amy, was also terrific and i had a bunch of friends who rallied when i got back here i had more food than you can possibly imagine waiting for me and people dropping by all the time so that was great i i can't say how much i appreciate it i mean a lot of them are not ultra cyclists in fact pretty much none of them are ultra cyclists or really even cyclists so uh this they had a lot of questions beginning with what on earth was on your mind entering an event like this in the first place and now, anybody who's in this world knows there's no really good answer to that question except, well, you know, it just sort of seemed like the thing to do at the time. <laughs> so Now, Damon, you uh, did you you said a phrase that really made me happy because you started it with my girlfriend at the time, and I thought you were going to say she left you when you were injured. No. So to follow it up with now my wife, I was like, yes. <laughs> no, she uh, she uh, she missed her chance uh, just to, <laughs> to get out all the getting was good. At this point, it's assumption of risk or something like that. But no, um, she was great. Uh, I had it in my mind that you know I'm I'm only an hour from Houston, which is where my flight home is going to be from. I'm in this hospital, and I can't really use my left arm, but. I think if I get into my rental car, I can just drive in the right lane straight down the highway for an hour or so and get myself on the plane and get back to D.C. And uh, she wasn't having anything of my you know, narcotic-up self driving out of the airport. So <laughs> she uh, came all the way to rural Texas to, to pick me up and, and take me back and uh, was incredibly understanding, especially considering that I really can't blame that the fall on anything except myself or maybe bad luck. You know, this is not something that anybody did to me. Uh, it's not a bad driver. It's not another cyclist. It's uh, just having something really awful happen, but it's self-inflicted in some grand scheme. So uh, she could have been a lot more snarky than she chose to be. And uh, I, I made up my, as much fun of myself as I could to try to fill that gap. But yeah, last year wound up being really a, a huge wash in terms of cycling because as, as much as I had hoped to do race across Oregon, I couldn't be out, even ride a bike again until about three weeks beforehand, at which point I was in terrible shape. And when your body goes through something like that, it's not something you bounce back from quickly. I lost a ton of blood and just everything else. So there's just no way on earth I was going to get out there. And, uh, so right about the time that I was able to start riding a bike again in June, uh, we wound up getting engaged, and we both really wanted to get married uh, relatively quickly. So we set a date for October, and at that point, it was just off to the races for planning and invitations and logistics, which we were really behind the curve on because most people plan longer than that in advance. And 
and we we made it happen, but the the result of it was really that I didn't have a whole lot of saddle time at all between uh, April when the wreck happened and the beginning of November when we got back from the honeymoon. So there's about six months really with not much writing to speak of. Um, I'll throw in a caveat that a friend and I rode a a super randonneur 600k at the beginning of September, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it's one of these. Uh, 375 mile rides, about 40,000 feet of climbing. And the one we chose to do was in Western Maryland. Actually, a big part of the Ram course goes through there is that, that one with the most climbing per mile. And that's pretty much the most gentle part of this SR 600. It's just got 25% climbs all day and all night, literally. So um, that was just about the hardest thing I'd ever lived through because I went into it completely undertrained and just got completely uh what i had come into me i guess is it <laughs> one way of putting it but but we got through it my philosophy was hey you know i got one weekend free to go out and do a big ride before the the wedding and everything so i'll take advantage of it so that's that's really all i did between the end of april and the beginning of november and at that point uh i had sebring in three months so i, I tried to get in shape for that although I, I wound up going into it just a little bit undercooked uh, compared to a lot of the Ram guys who race that, and of course Marco and doing what he does every year, but uh, hopefully this year we'll we'll be a little bit better. I'm I'm feeling good now, and Sebring went really well for about 20 hours, and then I kind of fell apart at the end of it. But that's what you get when you go to any training rides over five hours, I think. And uh, going forward, I'm. Uh, just doing some randonneuring right now and uh, getting in the workouts, trying to be consistent about it. I'm going to head back up to Michigan and then out to race across Oregon and try to do what I couldn't quite get to the starting line for last year. And I'm looking forward to both of those a lot. Hopefully I'll be ready for them. How are your forearms, your tricep, and your elbow when you're on aero bars? <clears throat> I don't feel it at all. Uh, it's just fine. because No, because in my, it's true that the lacerations were exactly on my forearms, but those, you know, it's just soft tissue. Those have healed entirely. I had the staples out at one point and the scars are completely flat now. So yeah, there's really no residual soreness. And in my left arm, I don't have any hardware in there anymore because I got removed in the second surgery. So there's no plates or anything to worry about. Uh, you know, the, the good news is that I really don't feel any, bad effects from that at all and i can get out of the saddle and kind of torque the bike back and forth and do all those great things and i've been trying to do uh, a lot of plyometric workouts It's, it's one of the things that i do aside from being on the bike to try to have some full body fitness which i think is helpful for these really long events and uh it's taken a while to where I can be doing the push-ups and the planks uh, because those stabilizing muscles, I have a hard time locking out my elbow to hold me up just on my left arm, but I'm getting there slowly and surely. Uh, But fortunately, being on the bike is not a huge problem. It's just uh, getting back that fitness and and drive a little bit, and that's that's coming right along, so I'm happy about that. Any loss mentally as far as drive or... Um, I don't know. Do you think you would hold back in certain weather conditions now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, well, I've never been a very aggressive descender because I've had a couple of falls before, none nearly this bad, but uh, I, I just 
have always had that voice in the back of my head saying, you know, if I'm going really fast on a road I don't know very well, and there's a wall and I'm on one side and I'm going around a curve, I can't tell if there's like a car in the road or a tree or goodness knows what. So probably on some of the, the especially in my triathlon days, some of the really aggressive descents, I lose a little bit of time on. It's uh, obviously not a problem in the 24-hour races. It's something uh, I don't have a problem with going fast down descents and kind of wide open gradual type things but one thing I definitely just will I think always have an aversion to is those metal grates though I'll tell you um, you see them sometimes in these rural areas on randonneuring rides and Graham's Fondos and uh, I think if it's dry then I'm willing to go across them at about two miles an hour staying on my bike and <laughs> if it's wet I'm just in no circumstance will I ride across one of these things if it's wet again. Uh, and sometimes it's a little hard to tell, you know, I, I'm told that I got a little lucky in some ways with that Texas ultra spirit. Cause apparently a, uh, what I'll term a weather event came through in the early hours of the morning, which turns out right when I was in the middle of my operation for four hours, and uh, Barry and a couple of the other guys were telling me that they wound up hiding under a dumpster for 45 minutes. Is like this, I don't know if it was a tornado or what rolled through, just tearing up the world. Uh, I guess that's what you get in Texas. So I'm I'm 0-1 against the state of Texas so far in races. Uh, hopefully that's something I can put right down the road. Well, but, we're um, hoping that you're going to be 1-0 against the state of Oregon when you head out there in a couple yeah. of months. Yeah, well, I, I have a good track record. Um I'm right now wearing my 2012 Boston Marathon tech t-shirt, and I qualified for that at the Eugene, Oregon Marathon. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's my, my only other athletic event in the state of Oregon. In fact, it's the only other time I've been to Oregon, but I hear good things. Uh, they tell me it's, uh, it's uh, lush and green and uh, kind of temperate and mild temperatures and that's exactly what i hear about race across oregon so i'm looking forward to that right uh, <laughs> no <laughs> no all right well uh that's it yes it's raining then oh uh, well damon it has been awesome chatting with you i'm so happy to hear you're on the mend and that you've really mended very well yeah, well, physically, you know, mentally people would say I'm as far gone as I ever have been, but uh, that's part of the fun, right? I was going to say, that's probably very helpful. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But uh, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you out in Oregon in July. Damon Tafe, thanks very much for joining us on Over the Top Cycling. Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.